The story I am about to tell you is true. It's about an abduction and murder that occurred in 1989 in Lake City, Florida. I have relied heavily on police reports and public documents, and I'll speak with people familiar with the victim and certain aspects of the case. All the opinions you'll hear from people I interview, as well as my opinions, and what I feel may have occurred, are just that. It's up to you to decide who and what you find credible. In the end, facts are what matter when determining guilt or innocence, and everyone is presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. September 18, 1989 at the intersection of State Road 100 and County Road 245 in Lake City, Florida. It's 12.30 a.m. A police deputy drives by the Suwannee Swifty convenience store. Nothing appeared out of the ordinary. Right around that time, perhaps five minutes later at 12.35, Three officers on hospital security detail for Lake Butler Corrections entered the store and saw Darlene Messer at the back, busy stripping the floor. Scattered around her on the dingy red and white tiled floor were a mop, a bucket, a hand scrubber, a razor blade, and a couple gallons of liquid floor stripper. Two other patrons were already in the store perusing the aisles a good-looking blonde in her 20s, and a dark-haired man of about the same age. Be careful, Darlene warned the men who had just entered. She didn't want them to slip in the puddle of stripper that she had just poured out on the floor. The three men shopped for snacks as another patron entered. In her late 30s or 40s with short brown hair, the woman wore a baggy sack dress and no shoes. Um, is there a restroom? Darlene nodded. Yeah, in the back room, but watch out. And then she pointed again to the puddle in the middle of the floor. The woman looked down at the mess. Oh, that's okay, she said, and then she left without using the restroom. The corrections officers grabbed their snacks and headed for the register about this time. Darlene went around to the inside of the cashier bay and rang them up. One of the men bought some candy bars, and another bought three cookies that cost him 95 cents. As they checked out, the couple who had been in the store when they arrived got in line behind them. The officers exited the store and piled into their state corrections van, eventually driving off. As they did, one of the officers noted that the light blue Bronco parked in the lot near them had Georgia plates. Meanwhile inside, the couple paid, and there were two others in their group who weren't in the store when the corrections officers were in there. All four of them had been passing through. They were en route to Palatka on a fishing trip. At least one member of their group used the bathroom while they were there. Once finished, they sat on the tailgate of the light blue Bronco, sipping coffee for a few minutes before getting back on the road. At 12.53, or in their words, about seven minutes before 1 a.m., they were pulling out of the Suwannee Swifty parking lot. At the exact same time, they nearly backed into a vehicle that was pulling into the lot. The vehicle was described as a 1976 or 77 Pontiac Grand Prix, 
rust-colored, a little darker than Heinz 57 sauce, and raggedy-looking with a vinyl top of a different shade than the car, and it was not in very good condition. As the group on their way to a fishing trip rolled back onto State Road 100, they noticed the vehicle pull into a parking place at the far end of the lot in the last parking spot, a spot that would be out of sight of the store clerk. Approximately two to four minutes later, at 12.55, the Suwannee Swifty alarm was activated. It was a pretty horrifying experience. You know, I, I, was, I was young, mm-hmm. and, you know, I'm getting called out in the middle of the night by my supervisor for, and, and it was basically where I learned the lesson to tell my clerks if they were working their, those later shifts and everything, that if somebody tried to take you out of the store and everything that you that you fought like hell and everything to not get out of that store because if you, if, you know, if they got you out of the store, you were probably dead. Now, I want to make sure you have a very specific understanding of the time frame here right at the outset so you can better follow along with me as I outline the evidence to follow. The corrections officers estimate that they arrived at the store between 12.30 and 12.35 and were there for 5 to 10 minutes at the most, which would have them leaving the lot no later than 12.45, approximately 8 minutes before the other couple believes they left at 12.53. This would be after buying their items and using the restroom and sitting at the end of the car sipping coffee for a few minutes. That all fits neatly together. Their statements corroborate one another, so we have a fairly good understanding of what was going on in the minutes before the store alarm went off. And it was a silent alarm, by the way. So you wouldn't be able to hear it when you were inside the store. In all the stories, there was a, um, inside of the cash register, okay, there was a, um, a box that if you pulled a bill out of, it had a $20 bill on it generally. Mm-hmm. You know, if you pulled that out, then an alarm would go off. Oh, that's interesting. So if, for example, the perpetrator came behind the counter and started grabbing, he might pull it on his own accidentally and not even know Right. It. He might, or if they forced the clerk to open up the register and everything, then that's the first thing they grabbed. So that's good. I was reading about another case, another convenience store, where their button was underneath, and it seemed like the clerk was saying it was too far to reach, and it was too obvious, you know what I mean, To uh-huh. if someone was holding a gun on you. So it seems like she had a, a pretty, if she was standing at the register, a, a pretty good chance of, um, you know, being able to do it without incident or them even knowing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that may not have been something where she went to reach for something and that triggered them grabbing her because they they might not have even known it. No, okay. no, and I'm not, and I know some of the stores did have like a separate button type thing, but I'm not, I, I can't remember if Eve had one there or not. Okay. Eve is the name of the store manager at the time Darlene Messer was killed and you'll hear her name mentioned occasionally. Okay. Oh, you mean in addition to the one? The, yeah, the $20 in addition person? to the one in the register. Okay. You know, I, I, all of the stores had the one in the register. Okay. But there were some stores that I vaguely remember having a, a separate little kind of manila-looking box and everything right there by the register or, you know, that they could carry on themselves if they wanted to. But... I, I cannot remember if Eve's store had that or not. So that one could be moved around the store, is what you're saying? Yes. 
crime scenes tell a story, but in order for that story to make any sense, you have to understand that location in a general sense, so you know about it under normal circumstances. To that end, I tracked down someone familiar with the Suwannee Swifty food store in Lake City, a former employee in upper management. Seems like you kind of did have one of the better systems for security even back then than a lot of the other stores. Yeah, there were. The security in the stores at that point was, it was pretty sad. Right. Well, there were. Okay. You know, compared, and, and I actually feel like some of those murders that you have mentioned in some of your research and everything were probably a big impetus towards moving towards the uh, convenience store safety laws and everything that came into effect and everything was in a, I want to say, about a year or so of that. Right. Prior to that, when a clerk's registered, let's say, was there any talk at all about if a robber comes in, don't argue, just give them the money? Is it, it? Absolutely. They were supposed to give them whatever they wanted to and get them out of the store as quickly as they could. Okay. Okay, that, that was the rule of thumb. Okay, and then they were to lock the door, of course, behind them. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, the, you never argued with them. You never tried to talk them out of it. They were not allowed to have weapons in the stores. Uh, you know, it, all, all a weapon in a store would do is get you killed. Well, that okay. brings me to another question then, because she had a weapon in her purse. She had a gun. Yeah, well, she wasn't supposed to. Right, and I was going to ask you that. And the, the strange thing about it is that, purse, according to all the pictures that I've looked at, was not touched at all. It wasn't even knocked over. It was right there next to the register on a, one of those little uh, egg cr- crates or whatever, you know, that's turned upside down, very uh-huh. within reach. So it was win- within reach of the scuffle, certainly, um, and it was not touched. And so that was interesting to me um, that she didn't, wasn't able to grab it or wasn't able to in such a sh- close area do you know what i mean it was uh-huh. it was a small little bay back there where they stood it wasn't like it was some big area and if, right, if the right. perpetrator came around there you were cornered until you know there was no way to get out right you're if he came around to that little l-shaped area you're in there right and yeah you were trapped there right. was no way to get out of there the last vehicle seen at that store by the final witnesses was the rust-colored pontiac grand prix which pulled into a spot out of view of the clerk just minutes before the alarm went off. Whatever occurred in the store, from that moment on, very likely included the person or persons who had arrived in that dark red Pontiac Grand Prix. Then at 1.03, eight minutes after the silent store alarm went off, a customer entered the store and found no clerk. He knew something was wrong and he left quickly, went to another store down the road and called police. What that customer saw when he entered the store were rumpled bills, cash, littering the floor like breadcrumbs that led all the way to the parking lot. There was a puddle on the floor next to some gallon jugs and a mop and bucket near the rear. He noticed a jostled auto trader rack next to the register with magazines and a TV guide laying on the floor next to it. A bucket of what once had contained boxes of matches was strewn all over the floor inside the cashier bay next to the register, with rolling paper boxes and cigarette boxes mingled in. A Gatorade container was also toppled, one that once had contained Gatorade gum singles. All littering the floor inside the cashier bay, where only employees were generally allowed. A drawer behind the counter was open, and the register itself hung from the edge of the counter by its cord, 
which was still plugged into the outlet on the other side of the counter, the customer side. It had been yanked or pushed all the way to the edge of the counter, perched with its drawer wide open like a gaping maw, suspended a few feet off the cluttered floor beneath. There's a roll of register tape and some receipts on the floor, and oddly, a belt. A men's belt, with the end pulled almost all the way through the buckle, leaving an empty circle about the size of a wrist or two, or at least that's what occurred to me when I first saw it. Maybe it was something that the perpetrator or perpetrators tried to use to restrain her. That's all I can think of off the top of my head as I look at these pictures. I'm not sure what else would make sense in this context. There is a dark-colored purse sitting on a blue plastic crate only a step or two away from the register, seemingly untouched, with a keychain and keys clipped to a metal circle attached to the purse itself. Do you know how long that she had worked at that location before um, uh, before the incident where she was abducted and murdered? Uh, I, I can't really recall, but I don't think it was... I don't think it was a long time. I want to say a few months, maybe. One thing I can tell you, uh-huh. okay, is she did not tell us the truth about her husband on her application really? when she applied. Some of the newspaper articles had suggested that he was supposed he was going to be paroled soon, but I went through and researched his case, and it was a lot of up and down and this back and forth through the appellate court. But um, we were completely taken back by that. Okay, we she had told us that her husband was in the navy. Oh wow. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. Now, is there yeah. is there anything else that you recall about her pers- personally, her um, personality, work ethic, um, anything? She was very. She was very pleasant. She had a very good work work ethic. Uh, there there were absolutely no complaints about her work in the store. Eve was very happy with her. Oh, that's good. And. Did she share anything else about her life that stands out that may or may not have been true either way, like problems that she may have been having in Canada or friends or anything at all that you recall? No. That's, that, after we had found out about her husband, uh-huh. um, what, uh, now what I'm saying is completely rumor and propaganda. Uh-huh. Okay. That's okay. That's fine. <laughs> is, is we were told that, and I can't even remember where this came from, or whatever, but I know it was at the point that we were told that her husband was was in Rayford, right. okay, mm-hmm. uh, for first degree murder, mm-hmm. okay, and uh, he had found out that she was messing around on him, okay, oh. and had basically put out a hit on her. Wow, that's interesting. That's, that's what we were told. Who you, and you don't remember who told you? But that's what got I back. I cannot in. remember where that came from, but I know that we were all like, "Oh my gosh." Wow. You know, because that was the point when we found out that she had lied to us. Right. You know, about where her husband was, what her husband was, and everything. You know, and I'm sure that was because she thought we wouldn't hire her. Right, right. You know, if we if we knew the circumstances. I see. And everything, and quite honestly, we might not have. I sent a letter to Charles Messer in prison, but I never heard from him. I wanted to get a sense of his and Darlene's relationship how they met and what inspired them to get married while he was in prison. Because let's face it, that's not normal. Generally, women don't go out of their way to marry men who are already on death row. It happens, but it's the exception, not the rule. And I guarantee you that in every case, 
there's plenty of fodder there for psychological inspection and introspection. I eventually tracked down a woman who met Darlene at Florida State Prison. They would see each other on visiting days. They both had husbands who were inmates. I'm not going to use her name because she didn't want to be recorded for the podcast, but she was helpful in giving me a sense of who Darlene was, at least from her perspective, and right off the bat I want to say that her perspective was not that great. I generally don't want to report anything that I feel would be considered victim-blaming, but regarding victimology, it's important to understand things about the victim that could put them at a higher risk for violent crime, and I think some of what this woman has to say is pertinent. As we begin the conversation, she said she wasn't sure how much she could help me because it had been so long, but I told her that I just wanted to know how Darlene had met Charles. She said that her recollection was through the mail, and that corresponds with a handwritten note in the police report under this woman's name, where it appears that the officer was taking notes. It says, quote, Answered ad in Globe Magazine, 1987. I looked online to see what Globe Magazine is, and it's one of those trashy magazines like National Enquirer, with mostly gossip and unflattering pictures. If I were to guess, based on how the police notes are worded, answered ad in Globe Magazine, an ad was placed by Charles Messer, asking for a prison pen pal, and Darlene answered it. Man, I wonder what it said, don't you? Was it something up front like, death row inmate looking for female pen pal? Or was it something a little more subtle, like, male seeks female pen pal? Women who, like long walks on the beach and quaint dinners at fancy restaurants, need not apply. I should note that when Darlene married him, his status may not have been as a death row inmate. The status of Charles Messer's case was a long and winding one, but he wasn't always on death row. However it all happened, it appears that Darlene and Charles struck up a relationship that began by mail and ended with Darlene moving to another country to live near him in prison and then eventually married him. Eventually didn't even take all that long, it seems. She answered the ad sometime in 1987, and I was able to track down a copy of their marriage certificate and learn that Charles and Darlene Messer were married on June 29, 1988. The only other note handwritten under this woman's name in the police report are the words, drank heavy, which I take to mean that she told police that Darlene drank heavily. Here's a bit of back and forth from our conversation, which I have reconstructed for you. Sorry to say what I remember about her was nothing good. If I'm not mistaken, she met him through the mail somehow. Darlene, she told some wild stories, and I feel sorry for her, but she only stayed a couple times at my house. She never had money, but she smoked up a storm. Did she ever mention any problems with anyone bothering her? I don't recall, but she made a few visitors mad at the prison, I'll tell you that borrowing money and not paying it back? Do you remember her saying anything about a corrections officer or employee at the prison harassing her? <laughs> that was probably something she wanted. So did Darlene go around with other guys? She didn't even hide that. Do you remember hearing any theories about what happened to Darlene? Oh, a lot of people warned her about the way she was existing. Okay, tell me what you mean by that. Well, she was at the prison every weekend and always had money for Charlie, but when she left there, was always looking for a place to stay. Is that how you two met? Yeah. This woman told me that she knew Charles Messer just from seeing them there together on visiting days and saying hello. 
I asked her to describe the prison visiting system for me, and she said that they could go on weekends like around 9 a.m. until about 3 or 4 in the afternoon. The visiting area was a big room with tables and seats screwed to the floor, four seats per table, and they had guards at the front that would take turns walking around. There were even people who came and sold drinks and snacks during visiting hours. I asked her if married people got conjugal visits at that time if she knew of, and she said she didn't think so. I asked her what she thought Darlene got out of marrying him, and she said maybe to have a new name. She said that she knew Darlene didn't want to go back home to Canada, but when I asked why, she said she didn't know. I told her that in one police interview, she'd told someone that she'd formerly been a cop in Canada, and the woman said that that was a made-up story. She said that she had offered to buy Darlene a ticket to go back home once, but Darlene wanted the money instead, and the woman said, quote, I didn't play that game. Do you get a sense that what happened at the store the night she was murdered was actually a robbery or more personal? Hard to say, but she had a lot of enemies. Because of what, specifically? Well, according to her, she owed different people money and she had people give her rides and stuff and never did anything for anyone in return. Have you tried to talk to her husband? I told her that I had sent him a letter and hoped that he'd write back, but so far he hadn't, and I really wanted to hear what Charles Messer himself had to say about Darlene the woman he managed to convince to move to another country and marry him while incarcerated. Although, just like this woman, you have to take in second-hand information with the understanding that the person giving it to you is filtering it through their experience with that person, and it's only part of a fuller picture. With Charles Messer, his filter is literal bars behind which he's lived for 45 years. All right, so let's talk about how much money was kept on hand during these hours specifically. What was the sort of rule of thumb? How much did they have the to draw? The rule of thumb was that you were never to have more than, like, $50 in your register Okay, and at any time. And when you had more than that, what was the procedure and where did it go? It went into a safe. There was a safe there that had a drop into it, mm-hmm. and they would they would list the amount of money they were dropping into the safe because, of course, everything was counted by the shift. And um, they would, you know, had a tally sheet. They would write down how much they had dropped in the safe, and then they would put it, like, in an envelope or whatever and drop it into the, into the safe. All right. Were there rules for, like, don't stand there and count money in front of a customer? Were you going to make a drop? Always. Okay. You, never, you never count money in front of a customer. Okay. And do you, as far as you know, she was, she followed the rules that she was told to follow? As far as I know. Right, but. You know, <laughs> of course, we have no idea what they actually do. We know what they were taught. Right. And everything. If they did it, then we hoped that they would follow the rules. But you had no indication as far as anyone telling you, I saw her do this or that or whatever. But she worked by herself, so no one would be there to know what she was doing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Let's then, I want to talk about the no-sale button. What were the rules around hitting no-sale? Did did the jar just pop right open when you hit no-sale? Did you have to put in a code or anything? When you hit no-sale, one of the things that we did if we were having problems in stores, like with inventory or cash shortages or whatever, is we would go through and count the no-sales. Right. Okay, on the register tape. Mm-hmm. And they were not supposed to hit the no sales. Okay, because that in- indicated to us, it's like, oh, why were you opening up the register? Right. You had no reason to open it. Mm-hmm. You know, and if there were an excess number of no sales, and what that showed us, or what that indicated to us, or could have indicated to us, is that somebody was just stealing. Okay, they, you know, somebody could come in and buy something, they could tell them it was so much, they could take the money and then, you know, 
at the end of the shift, they take whatever's extra. Right. So they could basically you know? keep, there would be, was a way, see, I used to work as a clerk in a grocery store, so I have some idea because I, I, I ended up being at the point where I counted the tills at night, so I kind of learned all the tricks. And so basically for the listener, it would be that you um, could hit no sale and someone gave you the money for an item that they were purchasing and you're not, there's no, there's no record of that transaction and you're just going to keep track of how much you've taken that's not on the transaction yep. records and take it at the end of the night. All right. Yep. Because there was a no sale hit uh, near the end on the, um, that shows on the, on the receipt that's inside the um, actual. <clears throat> um, there register. is still a receipt attached to the register bearing the date 9-1889 and the time 0054 or 1254, which was one minute before the store alarm was activated. The receipt itself bears the sale number, 505, and appears to show a 38-cent transaction that was paid for in cash. In the little window next to the receipt sticking out, the sale number 503 shows on the inside register tape. Those old registers record a list of sales for the store, a twin copy, if you will, on a second roll of tape, that was used to tally up the till at the end of the shift. Way back in the day, I used to work at a Winn-Dixie store, and our registers worked the same way. Each register had two rolls of tape, one that printed out the information on a copy for the customer, and another that recorded a running tally of the register's daily transactions. So at 12.35, a 63-cent sale was made, a dollar was given to Darlene by the customer, and 37 cents was given back in change. At 12.54, that 38-cent cash transaction was captured. Transaction number 504 is unknown to us, but 503 and 504 would most likely be the transactions of the corrections officers and the group headed out for their fishing trip. So, can we assume that that 505 transaction, that 38 cents, was the perpetrator? Or was this some mystery shopper that is still as yet unidentified? I mean, it is one minute before the alarm itself went off, and it could even be less than that because we only see the minutes, not the seconds. What we can tell from that picture is that her, when her last, uh, when her last sale was, because it's showing yeah. it wasn't pulled off. Um, the part that you're assuming that the time is right on the register. Right. Exactly. Well, this one says zero zero five four, so I imagine that's mid uh, twelve fifty four. Just after midnight. Okay. the The actual alarm went off one minute after the time on that receipt. So, okay. so what we're assuming is that was her last sale with the perpetrator. I mean, even if okay. it's a, even if it's a couple minutes off, that's the last sale that's sticking out of the thing. Right. I mean, that's the assumption. We can't know for anything for sure, but and it looks like it's a thirty eight cent sale paid cash. Um, to me, what what if that's in fact correct, and we're looking at a one minute difference between the time that last you know they came in and pretended to make a sale before they whatever happened, um, and then the thing went off a minute later. That's pretty much. I mean, it's odd that they would get out the door and someone else would come. So they do have some indication of what was going on. But I was interested in the no sale because it occurred. Could you just if. I, I know you said you w couldn't tell much. That 503, and then there's a one that we can't see, and then the 505 is the one that's sticking out of there. There's a little NS. I assume that's no sale. That's no sale. Okay. And you're not sure if that would mean that no sale occurred after the 503 or before it? 
Or let me ask you this. When you hit no sale, did it give you the time, date, and all that too? Or um, so would I it... think it <clears throat> did. I think it did. So that 503 could be an actual no sale. It could not. Yes, it could. All right. Because I was trying to see with the receipt on the left, what it shows is above it, the 38 cents. It looks like there were two for 38 cents. That might have been some of that gum that was spilled all over the floor, that Gatorade gum. Who knows? Because those were cheaply little things. But the price, what they bought on the, on the left-hand receipt is above the the 505, which is the um, transaction number, and then it's got the time and date. What's that number above the time and date? Do you know? Because it's not showing on the right. It's 2400. Uh, that's the store number. Oh, oh. The store was store number two, 240. Oh, good. Okay. So that wouldn't have to come out on the other receipt because that was... No. Okay. No. So you're saying that... that those four lines would would that come at the bottom of every receipt, not the top? It would always be the bottom. So what we're seeing is a full receipt that just never got pulled off the. Yeah. So on the on the register tape, the one that's that's sticking out there, uh-huh. that's like transaction five oh five. Right. Correct. That's what I was thinking. Okay, and it's the store number. Then the time was zero fifty four, and the tape that's in the register there is that's inside the register is a couple behind there right so, so that's it's 503 right so yeah. there would have just been the 503 one more and then this one that we that happened yeah. okay i gotcha um and and like i said that 503 is at 0035 which is 12 35 a.m and right that, and then the 505 is at 054 right so yeah. we can get an idea of the time frame and that does line up with the witnesses that were in around that 1235 or so there were a few people that were in the store there was a little you know there actually there was a couple corrections officers they were working the hospital corrections that night and then there was um uh, another couple from Georgia that was passing through for them that came through, and then um, a lady came in to use the bathroom. Yeah, the five hundred four, the five hundred four transaction would have been the one that's showing the dollar change, you know, dollar taken in, and then however many cents change. So that receipt on the right goes up. It yeah, goes that way. They go in different directions. Oh, okay, that is very helpful. Okay, so that works then. That makes sense for me. So that NS, is that the 503? Number 503 is, is an NS? So it's, is that how that worked or the NS when you... Yeah, that's okay. a no sale. Okay, all right. That's interesting. So I wonder why she's doing a no sale. Um, yeah. Would, who knows? Who yeah. knows? Are they supposed to do, would they do no sales for, uh, to count money and drop it? They may. Okay. You know, if there were, if there were like people in the store and everything, I would expect them to close the drawer, wait until the people leave, and then drop the money. Okay. So okay. That makes sense. Um, and, but what we would be looking for is an excessive number of no sales. Okay. All right. That And that makes sense because if she had four people in the store, she'd wait till they were all gone, do it real quick, and then right. go back. Because it, it appears also that there was some stripper on the floor, and she was working on stripping the floor um, at the time. Oh, God, that's... Yeah, yeah. It, it was liquid. There was literally liquid. So she had poured it out and was had a razor blade and was working on that. You know, I mean, it's a good time to do it in the middle of the night because there's not a lot of customers. So it appears that's right. what she was went back to do. You know, maybe even when they came in. Now, just just thinking back, do you have any specific recollection of her um, or knowing that she had any problems with any customers? We were not aware of her having any problems with any customers. Okay, so. If, for example, she had to, during one of her shifts, call police and report an incident, how would that be handled with the store? I assume she would tell her boss. She or... would have told, told the manager. Okay. 
about it. And, you know, we, of course, if, if there had been, if we had felt there was any kind of danger to her, and, you know, then, of course, we would not have left her there by herself. Right, obviously. So you weren't aware of any anything that had been um, a problem previously? No. Okay. Um, so there was an incident that occurred nine days before her murder where she called the police, where there were two suspicious, uh, it said it was a suspicious incident, basically. Two young men were arrested in the parking lot. And um, so you weren't aware of that? I had no knowledge of that. Okay. The two of those two people ended up being two suspects in the case. Um, really? Yeah. Well, what had happened was they were, one was a minor and the other was around 22, and all the report says is that she ca- called because of a suspicious incident. I don't have her report. All I have is the, the one that the police filled out when they got there. Well, it turned out they were uh, drunk, and they had two weapons on them. And one of the last lines in his report, the police officer noted that he believed if he had not, um, he had not apprehended them, they were going to rob the store. And, wow, okay. And here's a, even... And you see, and it's funny because that store was not one that tended to be robbed. Okay, I mean, I had stores that I worked with that would get robbed on a regular basis. Mm. Okay, and that was not one of them. If you look at the picture um, where it's just got the register in the corner of it. Uh Uh-huh, where it's hanging out down there? Okay, you can see where it's got the three, three money things flipped up. And then that one to the far left that's still down. Uh Uh-huh. Okay, where you can see a bill. Yes. That means that that was not tripped. It looks like that money is still in that clip. Well, I do know that some of the money was left in the uh, register. That was another uh, red flag, is that not only was there money still left in the register, there was money trailing all over the floor from the there right. all the way into and the parking lot. and nobody took the lottery tickets. If it was a, a robbery, they would have taken the lottery tickets because they weren't fastened down. But do you know what they did take? They took what? lighters. They, there are a couple lighters rolled out in the parking lot. So it's like they grabbed a handful of lighters. Generally, let me ask you this. You said some of your other stores were robbed more. In the cases of robberies in those other stores, were people killed? Uh, no, she was the only one I ever had killed. I mean, okay. yeah. I, I had other people. I had a couple people get shot. Um, and, and those were generally stores that were in very not nice neighborhoods. Right. And um, they were, I had a couple of stores down in Stark that were very, very prone to getting robbed. Okay, so, you know, it was, you know, like every time they got robbed, it was like the same type thing. And, and generally, generally, we had more break-ins and everything of the stores that were not open 24 hours mm-hmm. than we actually had of robberies. Is your okay. is your recollection of those robberies that generally you said they were the same thing and they were get in and get out and it wasn't a whole lot of having to fight with uh, cashiers? Yeah, it was like get, give them what they want, get them out of the store, and that was it. Right. Okay. And we also the convenience store business is like the dirtiest business in the world. Okay. I mean, mm-hmm. it is when when we would hire a person, and this is in general. This isn't like particular to like Eve store or whatever. This is in general. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever you hired a person, you immediately started getting ready to fire them. 
okay? I, I finally had to get out of the business because I was so jaded and everything about people because even people that you thought you could trust would steal. Uh. And it was, it, yeah, I had, I had a manager in Stark and a, who, who actually shot himself, <gasps> okay, to cover up stealing a book of lottery tickets. Oh, my gosh. He thought he would win enough, okay, to pay for the book of lottery tickets as he sat there one night and scratched away. Uh And he didn't. So he shot himself in the leg. Oh, my God. Okay, to say he got robbed. That's crazy. I I know. I know. I mean, you know, and when I have fired some of the people in some of the stores that I discovered were, were stealing... And everything. I mean, I've had my, I had my tire slashed. I, you know, all kinds of threats and everything. It, I mean, it was, it was a nasty, nasty business. It was a dangerous business. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, I, I never. I, I, I mean, if I had, if I had a daughter who needed a job, and everything, I would never have allowed them. You know, to to work in a convenience store. Even today, I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't either. Neither would I, especially alone. You know, but even it's, it's just a very, very, very hard business. You know, and and you know, and I used to tell. And actually, Swanee Swifty was a wonderful company because if you came to me and told me that you needed money for rent or whatever, the company would loan you money and everything because it was like. Tell us you need it, and don't steal from us. Hmm. You know, and and we will advance you money. We will do whatever you need us, especially with managers. You know, and I would I would tell clerks I would like instead of stealing that gallon of milk, tell me about it. I will buy you a gallon of milk. Did they keep yeah. track of actual like cigarettes? Like, would you know down to the pack if cigarettes were gone? It depends on the store. Okay, if if it was a store that habitually had problems with inventories, then at the end of each shift, we would count every pack of cigarettes in the store. Do you know if this was one of those stores? No, it was not. After this happened, you said you were called in the middle of the night. Did you actually have to go down to the store that night? Oh, yeah, yeah. My supervisor and I were both there. What do you remember seeing when you got there? You know, I, I walked in, and my first impression was, oh, my God, the store's a wreck. Mm-hmm. Okay? And what that equated to was she put up a hell of a fight. Right. Okay? Coming out of that store. Because, obviously, somebody had to go behind the counter, okay, and get her. And then she must have been kicking and screaming the whole way out. Yep. You know? So, I mean, one of the counters was moved. It, it was, you know, and those were not light. You know, yeah, I, were... I see that. There's a fan knocked over, a garbage can. There's some bottles strewn all over the floor. And what that tells me is that they most likely didn't have a gun because... Well, no, you know, why... Yeah, I, I mean, why didn't they... If, they, if their intent was to kill her, why didn't they just kill her Right the there, store? exactly. Right there. I mean, it would have been so much easier. Why are you dragging someone, a victim, somewhere else? And that's what makes Do me feel like... Do you have pictures of the of the store itself yep i have other than just okay so you can see where the counters were moved yep Mm -hmm. and everything yeah 
I, I yeah, thought so, the same thing. I thought if they had a gun, they would have just shot her. She wouldn't have fought probably against a gun, and she probably did against whatever else they had. You know, yeah. like what? And so I feel or like if she knew who they were and they right. had a gun. She probably would have fought anyway because she she would have known they were going to kill her. Right, right. Or you know, she thought so. they're not going to kill me. They're just being little, excuse my French, assholes. You know what I mean? They were they're yeah. they're not going to you know. So it really, there's a lot of red flags in this to me that makes me think it's not, it's more personal. They were there for her, not necessarily the robbery. I mean, who robs a store and then doesn't take any, half the, all the money and then half of it's on the floor? Like, they clearly exactly. didn't come for the money if it's dripping all the way into the parking lot and they're grabbing lighters. Right. I mean, what kind of a real robber grabs lighters? I mean, yeah. you know, and he probably well, grabs... Well, you know, and that would lead more to the, you know, we would expect that in a store where they were looking for... You know, drug paraphernalia, right? Whatever, right? And you that know, could that they be would have been taking the lighters or, or whatever. But that's just stupid stuff. Yeah, it it just tells you it's not a. This is a not a. A lot of them get a, mad when they realize there's not very much money in the register. You know that, that I can see. Robbing yes. a convenience store is a stupid crime. Okay, because if the clerk is doing their job and everything, there's really nothing to take. Yeah, exactly. They know. I mean, even then they were dropping money. I mean, in the 80s, yeah. we dropped money all the time. We didn't keep a lot out. So right. it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, but they still did it. I mean, you know, yeah. they still did it, which tells you about the perpetrator. These are things that tell you what happened at the crime scene uh, tells you more about the perpetrator and then the victim, you know. so Exactly. And you, we talked about the gossip about her husband. Is that the only gossip you heard as far as... Um, you know, what may have happened? What was the ongoing... That was, uh, you know, we we had been told and what we, you know, repeated and everything was that her husband was in the Navy, you know, and of course that... I, I'm a veteran, mm -hmm. so of course I was like, that's cool, I'm really glad, you yeah. know, that we can help her out. Her husband's in the Navy, he's overseas or on a boat or wherever he is, you know, so that, you know, we felt good about hiring her. And um, then to, you know, just find out down the road, you know, that, that she had lied to us. It was, you know, it was kind of like, wow, you know, you really just never know people. Yeah. And you know, yeah. the one another thing that struck me, one of the first things they did at 5.30 a.m. that morning, I mean, they started quick, is they pulled up any reports, police reports with her name on them. And there were quite a few. She called police a lot, not just from the store. So she had worked at... Uh, a restaurant in Middleburg called the Oyster Shack and she, there was some employees stealing there and she after the third time she called police on them that was one there's another one at a Jiffy store that she worked at in Middleburg where she had to call the police because the two perpetrators came in and were just ran went, went right to the beer and, and grabbed it and left then there was two incidents while she worked at uh, the Swanee Swifty store where someone that worked at the corrections place where her husband was um, she was saying was harassing her and, and um, telling her he'd make life bad for her husband if she did not go out with him. And then there was, oh, gosh. yeah, then there was another guy at the apartment that she um, lived at that she said was peeping in her windows. And um, what was, and then the, 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 then the incident with the two guys nine days before. So there's so mu much room for motive here. And right. I just, you know, I think there's a lot in her victimology that puts her at risk. And that's what victimology is. You're not blaming the victim so much as what's going on in their life. What are they doing? What positions are they putting themselves in that might make them higher risk as a victim, you know? And right. then there was, uh, there's quite a few 
people, men with the fire department she was apparently seeing. So when you told me that the husband found out something, you know, that makes me wonder, did he find out something? She, if she's if she's got guys from the fire department coming in out of her apartment, and that was well known because they interviewed a bunch of the, I mean, I've never, you know, covered well, it seems obvious, the picture she was portraying to us of herself and everything, what she actually was with two entirely different things. Right. And I you know, know, you know, some of that is self-preservation. You know, she's... Absolutely. I, I totally Absolutely. get it. I get it. But that what all that does is tell you that there's stuff going on. There's a reason why she's doing that, you know. There, and all of these things fall into the category of putting her at a higher risk. And then you've got to look at all these things to find out if any of these are the perpetrators. Did the two guys that she yeah. called the cops on have a vested interest in coming back and, and doing her harm? Um, did the... was was the guy at the corrections place really harassing her or was she not being truthful? You know, it's it's really hard for police when there's so many red flags yeah, all over the place. Right. Yeah. Right. I went back to the topic of the register because it was niggling at me. On further inspection, I noticed that the bill left inside the register in the area that she described as the silent alarm trigger to the far left appeared to be folded and sideways, not properly in its slot. It does not appear that beneath it was another bill, at least from the pictures that I can see, which admittedly aren't that great. But even with the arm down, it looks to me as though the arm may have been up at some point. I know that when up, just a little pressure could make those arms snap back down. And if there was any struggle happening there, I could see it being pulled up to retrieve the 20s underneath, but then that arm ending up back down. Is there a way to pull it without lifting the latch to get it out? Yeah, you could have you could have pulled it, okay, without lifting the latch. But the thing is, is that if you look there, there's actually a bill still in there. Right, there is a bill still in there for sure. And the police report even says not all the money was taken. And you're right. sure that left so side is if, the bill. If, you know, now if it had been moved forward, maybe it, you know, it was moved enough, mm-hmm. okay, and it it went off. And and we're, you're definitely sure the one on the far left that's down is the trigger one you're saying oh yeah absolutely it's so weird that they're all up but that one though isn't that strange well you know to me that that would show that the whoever whoever was messing with that register knew that that was the the trigger wow that could be and and lifting that up would not have set set it off it would have been pulling the bill out okay okay, would have would have triggered it so that's even more informative um, another so reason, I, I don't know if you can see... Download that picture and look at it. <clears throat> also, if you notice, to the left of the register, there's a pack of cigarettes that could have just fallen, but I believe that's a pack of BC powder on the counter, and I think that may be one of the there's reasons... There's a pack of BC powders that was right by the register. Yes. There's a pack of cigarettes, there's a couple of lighters. And so that might be why they were asking about... They were asking... Um, the police were asking um, questions about of suspects of what kind of pain relievers they used. I don't know if they thought that was the person you know what they were gonna going to ring up right before it happened or you know if there were two because there, there there may have been two perpetrators i mean if you don't have a gun how are you getting her out of that store <laughs> fighting like that you know here's another thing i'll tell you but um is that they found a belt on the floor i don't know if any of the pictures i sent you right there below the register just out of frame closer to her purse a belt was laying on the floor a men's belt pulled all the way through so there's a small circle what I first thought of when I saw it was they were trying to restrain her by putting it around her wrists. 
it's just laying right there on the floor. They left it. It was, it's one of the items that they've, they've been test, testing. So, I mean, that just seems so not like a regular robbery. That seems like, no. you know, a bunch of rolling papers on the floor, yeah, lighters. I, and I wondered if they took rolling papers too, although. Lighters, lighters. It, I mean, we always kept lighters on the counter. In, um, in what, like a bin or how, what were they in? They were in, all right, you can see there was um, a package there, okay? They, they generally had a plastic insert, like the ones you could see up on the shelf. Okay, there's like a plastic insert, and we would just take like, it was like a display type thing. A flat? And you would just take the top off and put it on the counter. Oh, I think I see that in another picture. Hang on, it's in, um... It's that, I think that insert, let me look at it. I saw it yesterday and I was like, what is that? Hang on. Okay, I see it underneath the chair. They've got a picture from the other view. So you can see the, the, the coolers on the other end and all the knockdown things. But it looks like it's a white, yep, that's exactly what it is. It's, it, we're, a, they're like three rows of, of, of what lighters would be inserted in. Right, right. Okay, it's on the floor under, under the chair on the other side. Um, underneath the chair that's at the desk, it's on the floor underneath uh -huh. there. And where would that have been? Next to the register? It would have been on the counters, either there or right underneath the counter. But it was probably on the counter by the by the cash register. Oh, so they're had to, literally having to pull lighters out of there. I mean, geez, uh, you know, it's it's crazy that they, you know, and we maybe wouldn't necessarily know that if there weren't lighters in the parking lot. But they were dropping them like they were dropping money. I mean, you know. I just do feel like the, the FBI profile was right and that it was two younger, disorganized-type criminals, you know. Right. What? You know, it, it just, to me, this, you know, for all of everything that happened with this, it was a very, it was a stupid robbery because they, it, you know, that's why you'd almost think it wasn't a robbery. Um, because if it was actually a robbery and everything and the people weren't stupid they would have taken a lot of things that were left there you right know, like the lottery tickets right that back then was there a way to track the lottery tickets because they could still track them by number if they tried to turn them in um yes okay but not if they did it quickly well that's what i was next going to ask you so if they went to that night and and cashed a bunch of them they could do it quickly and it wouldn't be and you see, and I would be able to go back because at the end of each shift, you would you would try you would write down how many lottery tickets there were. Okay. okay? Mm -hmm. So we would, and we would be able to look at that by the register also. Okay, because you know there's numbers on the lottery tickets, so we would have like the numbers so that we could figure out how many lottery tickets were sold. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then we could also match that to the to the cash register receipts. And you have, okay, a, so. you have a specific recollection of the, the not being missing any lotto tickets? I don't have a recollection of that, but, you know, that that is something that we absolutely would have checked. Okay. And everything, so. There's I, nothing in the report mentioned about lotto tickets being gone, so. Um, but, you know, like I said, there could be things that I'm missing, so I hate to say for sure whether any were taken or not. They look like they're a little bit, um, you know, one's a little crooked off to the side but i doubt i don't know that that means oh, anything. that doesn't make any yeah. difference that you know the things they, get jostled i mean it's not like yeah, it's there a, were a lot more tickets on that roll so and the other and then the i don't you know money orders get stolen but that wouldn't have been an issue i'm sure that they weren't smart enough to 
you know, do anything with the lottery tickets. And seeing that... excuse me, the money orders. Right. And, and I, at first I thought, wow, that's a lot of rolling papers to be on the floor. Maybe they were taking some of them, and they could have. But I did notice that there's some right to the right of the register, so it may have been that those came off the counter. They were back behind the register. So would they... Okay. Way of to come the off? right. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think... That, that's they, where they would have kept the rolling papers. So do you think they could have been knocked off when that register... Was oh, yeah, slipped? when that register came down, yeah. you know, they... Probably, yeah. if she was grabbing hold of the register, right, or anything, then she probably, you know, they probably came off at the same time. Though none of them, interestingly, look like they've been stepped on. They're all just down there on the floor. Yeah, they don't look like they've been. You know, if there's a struggle and there's people back there stepping all over the place, sure doesn't look like they stepped on any of those boxes. They're no, all... they didn't step on any of it, did they? No, I just noticed that. Oh, that just wasn't this gum. That was that was uh, packages of um, matches. Yep, there's matches, but if you look closely, yeah, there's the box matches. Yeah, there's box matches, and there is some there is some gum there, and everything. But you know, most of the stuff on the floor there are box matches, and those would have probably been in those plastic bins on the counter, right, right there by yeah. the register. So yeah. they could have been knocked down in the, mm -hmm. yeah. All of that sort yep. of makes sense to me now that I'm looking at it, except those rolling papers where the boxes are not stomped on. That sort of looks like that was done after she was removed from that area, like they yanked them down. Either, yeah, either that or during, you know, because, I mean, if they came behind there and they they were grabbing her, they, you know, she may have, you know, grabbed whatever was on the counter or, you know, the cash register, whatever, to try to keep them. Because there's, there's no way... You know, she could have gotten her hands underneath the edge of that counter mm -hmm. and everything, but there's really not a lot to hold on to. Right. You know, if somebody was going to grab you. Okay, and you know that, I mean, like the milk crates, mm -hmm. you know, are still all in place. So you set her purses there. Yep. You and know, nothing on the far side of the, the counter, I, you know, is a mess. It's almost, it almost looks like the stuff was pushed. You know, rather than pull. Yeah, like someone came over the counter. Yes, I think yeah, that's true. Yeah, something like that. You yes. know, I mean, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily look like it was all pulled off. It could have very easily been pushed off. Yep, that's true. And I just, I feel like if there's, I mean, those boxes to me say something. That it, if they were struggling so much behind that counter, two or even three people, those probably would have been trampled. But if she was, let's say she was stripping the floor. Yeah, I, I mean, come on. Rag is still next to the money order machine. Yes. Yes. Okay, so, you know, to me, all that stuff is untouched there. Yeah. Yes. And if she was struggling back there, then that would, you know, all that stuff would have been messed up. They could have gone, you know, reached right over the counter and, and knocked that register like that, you know, and grabbed yeah. things. That, you know, make it true. look like a robbery. Yep. Yep. You know, they could have reached over, grabbed whatever, whatever out of the register to make it look like a robbery. Yeah. You know, but never even went behind that counter. They could have pushed all of that right off onto the floor. And not only that, and there's another picture that's right next to, um, in the back room, you know, where her log is that you're talking about. They would write down lottery tickets and stuff like that. There's another uh -huh. rag right there next to an ashtray where she clearly was a smoker. Pencils there. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that you would expect to be knocked down if there was two at least two people fighting like that behind that oh, counter absolutely there's well those milk crates with her purse they, they certainly would have been in place right if she had been fighting back there yep and the, and where those 
I didn't send you that picture, but where the counter was knocked down, where you told me, like, you know, where they had the... So there was a fan that must have been sitting on a counter thing that's all the way knocked over. Back on the other end, a garbage uh, can and um, looks like a wheelie thing with some Pepsi, empty Pepsi bottles that were sitting there. It looks like more of the struggle where it was occurring out there, which is closer to where she may have been when they walked in, um, because that's where the stripper and stuff is. I hadn't even thought about the fact that it does all look pushed over rather than fought yeah. and those boxes are not trampled and I feel like is a good uh I you know it may have been two people one of them was trying to restrain her and the other one was reaching over the was counter to... was messing the store. so yeah. that yeah. 1976 or 77 Pontiac Grand Prix rust colored a little darker than Heinz 57 sauce the raggedy looking one with a vinyl top of a different shade that wasn't in very good condition that group of people on their way to the fishing trip in Palatka had almost backed into that vehicle, pulling into a parking space at the far end of the Swanee Swifty lot, the last parking spot, a spot that would be out of sight of the store clerk three to four minutes before the store alarm was activated. If the driver of that Grand Prix is not the perpetrator, I can tell you that they've never been located, at least as far as the documents that I have seen. Nobody with that car description was ever interviewed about being in the store that night. Nobody with that car description came forward later to say that they had been in there and what they'd seen, like the corrections officers and the Georgia couple did. Interestingly, the strongest suspect in this case, or at least the one police looked at the hardest for the longest amount of time, wasn't driving that car that night. But another vehicle would very shortly be seen speeding in an area not too far from that store and that lead would garner a great deal of attention. Stay tuned.